suffering is everywhere, unavoidable, and its scope often overwhelms. That's what Tim Keller wrote in the introduction to one of his books. And he went on to say this, If you spend one hour reading this book, more than five children throughout the world will have died from abuse and violence during that time. If you give the entire day to reading, more than a hundred children will have died violently. But this is, of course, only one of innumerable forms and modes of suffering. Thousands die from traffic accidents or cancer every hour, and hundreds of thousands learn that their loved ones are suddenly gone. That is comparable to the population of a small city being swept away every day, leaving families and friends devastated in the wake. It's a great way to start a book, eh? Makes you want to read it, read on. But it's a shocking reality that we, that is all too clear for each and every one of us. And for many people, the reality of suffering in this world, it's like a, a roadblock to believing in a good, all-powerful, all-knowing God. I think the suffering in this world is one of the most common reasons people give for rejecting the idea of the God of the Bible, the truth of the God of the Bible. And yet the Bible isn't silent on this issue. It doesn't try and hide from this uncomfortable reality. It doesn't run from the challenge that pain and suffering and loss presents to us. And I think that's especially true when it comes to the Psalms. Many of these Psalms face up to the reality of suffering head on. And they encourage us not to walk away from trusting in God because of the suffering in this world, but instead to express faith even in times of intense suffering. And one of those psalms is this, this amazing psalm, Psalm 22. And we're going to read it. It's quite a, a lengthy psalm, but I think it's really, really important that we just read down through it uh, this morning. So please just bear with me as I read it, or if you want to listen on, or read on, just find it in your Bibles, Psalm 22, and we're going to read uh, from verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I'm not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted in you and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me in out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no one to help. 
Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing at their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and glow over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They who seek the Lord will praise Him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before Him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. All the rich of the world will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before Him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. For he has done it. This psalm is a powerful expression of David's honest and sincere faith in the middle of an incredibly difficult time in his life. Now we don't know what the circumstances were, what he was going through at that time, but he clearly wrote in a time of intense suffering, both physical suffering and emotional pain, with ridicule from his enemies and apparent silence from God, despite his constant cries for help. So that's why he started this psalm with this anguished question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet this psalm also contains amazing declarations of faith. Of faith in God. It celebrates God's faithfulness in the past and his presence with David throughout his life. He expresses confidence that God had heard his prayer. And he concluded this psalm with an amazing declaration of God's goodness and his glorious rule over the nations. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. But I'm sure for many of us, when we read that psalm, we don't stay thinking about David's faith for long. 
That's because this psalm is one of the most amazing prophecies of the suffering of the ultimate anointed one. The Messiah. Jesus Christ himself. Now David, he wrote this psalm long before crucifixion was invented as a cruel and barbaric form of of execution. And yet, down through the psalm, David so powerfully points to to what Jesus suffered when he was on the cross. He wrote this about a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. And yet it picks out so many aspects of what Jesus went through. For example, look at verse 14 and 15. His physical exhaustion. He says, I'm poured out like water. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, which is a, a, a piece of broken pottery. Then you get his desperate thirst from dehydration. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You even get his, the dislocation of all of his bones as he hung, exposed on the cross. Verse 14, all my bones are out of joint. Then verse 17, I can count all my bones. You even have the, the Roman soldiers gambling for his clothing. They divide my garments among them. And cast lots for my clothing, as the Roman soldiers did at the foot of the cross. And perhaps most impactful of all, we have it talking about Jesus' hands and feet being nailed to the cross. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Amazing prophecies about the, the suffering of Jesus on the cross all those years before it happened. That's not all. David also wrote about how crowds would mock Jesus as he hung on the cross. Verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Saying exactly what what they would have said. And then using the power of metaphor, he described the crowds as they just vented their hatred of Jesus by verbally abusing him. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tame their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. Bulls, lions, dogs, evil men as they just hurl those insults at Jesus as he hung on the cross. But David's prophecy here doesn't just point out, to the, point out the horror of the cross, the suffering of it. But it, he also points to the deeper meaning of what the cross was all about. Jesus made this so clear for us by quoting verse 1 from the cross when he was actually hanging on the cross. Mark chapter 15 says this, At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. So from midday until 3 p.m. in the after, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the whole land was covered in a supernatural darkness. During those three hours, Jesus experienced unimaginable horror. 
and the darkness hid from view what Jesus experienced through these terrible hours. But this cry at the end of those three hours of darkness, they reveal to us what was happening. Now, I don't think any of us will ever be able to understand fully what this was about. But in that complete darkness, isolated from everyone, even his own father, Jesus took upon himself our sin. He was made sin for us. And he paid the price that we deserved. He was punished in our place. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus didn't quote from Psalm 22 because in his suffering he mistakenly thought that God had abandoned him. No, he, instead he cried out those words because he was actually enduring that separation from the Father that we deserved because of our sin. He was wrenched from the, the fellowship with his Father that he'd enjoyed for all eternity in the past. And he died so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be saved. And that's why this psalm can end so triumphantly. Because Jesus' death wasn't a disastrous tragedy. Rather it was a glorious victory over sin and death and hell. And so David wrote, he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. Jesus, he wasn't protected from that suffering and from that death. But instead his suffering was accepted by God as sufficient payment for all of our sins. Past, present, future. All of them paid for by Jesus. And God proved it by raising Jesus from the death, from the grave. Declaring that Jesus really is the Son of God. And that the way of salvation is now open through faith in Jesus. And so as a result of what Jesus suffered on the cross, the good news can be declared that the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those, they who seek the Lord, will praise Him. Those who are spiritually hungry in this world, can find satisfaction and contentment and fullness. Because through Jesus they can come and be part of God's family forever. And so God's international kingdom will continue to grow as all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. And so it looks forward into the future and sees future generations celebrating the victory of Jesus. Verse 30, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. 
for he has done it. And this morning, this is what we've done. This morning is a fulfillment of that prophecy. As people from a number of different backgrounds, a number of different nations, even the Scots get in. (laughs) Amen to that. And the English, of course. We've all come together to praise Jesus, our suffering Saviour and our risen Lord. What an amazing psalm this is. But this psalm doesn't just do that for us this morning. It doesn't just help us to understand the things that David was going through when he wrote this amazing poem. Neither does it just point to the suffering of Jesus and the meaning and the purpose and the wonder of that. It also helps us, I believe, to respond in faith even when we go through times of suffering. Just got three little points here on this. This psalm declares that God is faithful to his people. David wrote, In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. And yet, this psalm also declares that sometimes God's people can feel abandoned. God is faithful. But sometimes God's people can feel abandoned. David, he was a guy who was dedicated to God all of his life. Did you see what it says in verse 10? From birth I was cast upon you from my mother's womb. You have been my God. David hadn't wandered away from God at this point. He hadn't fallen to sin or unbelief. He had fully trusted in God. And yet when he wrote this psalm, He felt completely abandoned by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this feeling was so intense that David felt less than a human being, less than a man. But I am a worm and not a man. I think what was happening was David was looking back and seeing God's faithfulness to people in the past and he could see how God's love gave them dignity and honour. But his suffering, his suffering made him feel worthless and insignificant as if God didn't care about him. Now of course, that's not the complete story of this psalm. David did get to the place where he could express faith and confidence in God. And we know that verse 1 of this psalm is not the complete story of our lives. Because Jesus took upon himself our sin and was punished for our iniquities, experiencing that separation from God that we deserved, We can be sure that nothing and no one can ever separate us from God's love. Today, we can celebrate that. That God promises to us, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. What an amazing promise we have today. So verse 1 is not the full story of our lives. But this feeling of abandonment for God, for, for David, sorry, was real. And it was intense. 
And it was painful. And sometimes through no fault of our own, we too can feel forsaken by God. We too can feel distant from Him. So I think this psalm tells us that if we feel like this, then it's okay. We don't need to panic. We don't need to conclude that we've somehow fallen outside of God's family because we feel like this. God is faithful to his people. But sometimes even God's people can feel abandoned by God. It's not true. God hasn't abandoned us. But it can feel like that at times. But secondly, David clearly felt as if God was far from him. Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my words, from the words of my groaning. God felt distant, uncaring, uninterested in all of his difficulties and his struggles. But did you notice? Crucially, that did not stop David from crying out to his God. In fact, this psalm, it's written like a prayer to God. To the God who he felt was so far away. And yet he still was crying out to him. And throughout this psalm, David pleaded with God for help. For example, verse 11. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. God, you feel so far away, so distant, so as if you're not caring. And yet I'm crying out to you, do not be far from me. Verse 19, but you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. So although it might sometimes feel as if God is distant from us, we can still, in that moment, respond in faith and cry out to God for help. This is really encouraging for me. Effective prayer does not depend on our feelings. Did you get that? Effective prayer doesn't depend on our feelings or our emotions. We don't need to feel God's presence in order to come to Him with our struggles. Instead, we can stand in faith on the promise of His love and His commitment to us, even when we don't feel it. As Peter calls us to, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now that doesn't mean that God will always answer in a way or in a time frame that we want or we expect. Verse 2, David said, Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. He was faithfully bringing all of his struggles to God, but God did not immediately answer in the way that he expected. But it does mean that God will always listen and he will always answer in his perfect time. In verse 24, David could point forward in the psalm to God's ultimate response. He could declare, he has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. In times of suffering, God may feel distant, but we can always cry out to him 
for help. But finally, this psalm shows that God may let his people suffer. David, he was God's chosen king. And yet he suffered intensely. Jesus, he was God's son. And yet he suffered more than anybody else in all of history. And so we, as the chosen children of God, should not be surprised if we too go through times of suffering. In fact, Peter said this, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Our suffering doesn't indicate that somehow we are far from God. But instead, our suffering is just simply part of what it means to follow Jesus. Listen to what John John Stott said. He's a a famous preacher and and Bible teacher. He says, "If if If the first mark of a true and living church is love, the second is suffering. The one is naturally consequent on the other. A willingness to suffer proves the genuineness of love. Now, it's not popular to say that kind of thing these days, even sometimes within the church. And yet, following Jesus and suffering do go together in the Scriptures. But this psalm doesn't only tell us that God allows suffering in our lives. It also shows that in this suffering, God is working for our good. Sometimes God's purpose in suffering is really clear. I think we can see that in Jesus' life, can't we? We know that the suffering described here in Psalm 22 has transformed our lives, those of us who have trusted in Jesus. It's brought forgiveness, it's brought love, it's brought joy and hope into our hearts. Not only for now, but for all eternity. Isaiah wrote this prophecy, he was pierced, this is about Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. God brought so much good through the horror and the pain and the suffering of the cross. Maybe in David's life, that purpose or that way that God was bringing good out of bad isn't so clear. But I think we can see maybe how it brought a deeper understanding of his need for God. A deeper understanding of God's power to rescue. A deeper commitment to praise God in the presence of others. Verse 22, I will declare your your name to my brothers. In the congregation I will praise you. It, It led them to worship God more. And of course, out of his suffering, out of David's suffering, came this extraordinary psalm that has inspired thousands right down through the generations. And in our our lives, we might sometimes be able to see how God is working for our good in times of suffering. 
I'm sure many of us could look back to times of suffering in our lives that when we were going through it, we couldn't understand at all what God was doing in it. And yet looking back with hindsight, we can say, wow, look at what God has done through all of those times. Look at how God has changed us or brought people into our lives or brought us to Christ at the very start. That's sometimes. But often we just need to hold on to the promise and hope. Hold on to the promise that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to our purpose. Often we just hold on to that promise without being able to explain it, without being able to work it out, without being able to see it. We just trust God with it. That if we have put our faith in Jesus, then we can rest in the knowledge that God is always working for our good. Even And maybe especially in the most difficult circumstances of our lives. And so with Paul, we can rejoice that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So suffering, it doesn't need to destroy our faith. God. It doesn't need to be a roadblock to, for us to live for God each day. Instead, we can express faith in times of suffering. Because God is faithful to his people even when we feel abandoned. God may feel distant, but we can always cry out to him for help. And God may let his people suffer, but God is always working for our good. And for his glory. And we can know the the reality of this. Because we can look to the cross of Jesus. And see how he suffered for us. On the cross he was punished. So that we could be forgiven. He was rejected. So that we could be accepted. He was forsaken by God. So that we could know that even in the darkest moment. We are never alone.